Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. The Lord laid something on, on uh, my heart. Gina and I have been, been praying for all week, been praying about the church, about the needs of the church. And um, I think it was last Sunday afternoon, our, our son um, texted me, and he um, texted us a link to a song. And this song, and we're, we're going to finish the, the service, we're going to sing that together. It's, it changed something. This, thing has, this song has an anointing, and it, 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 it literally changed something and Gina and I, and, and you know, I'm, I'm always excited about what's going on at church. I can see past what was right here. I see this place full. I see it thriving. I see all kinds of ministries coming out of this place. But I'll be honest with you, when, when you sit and look at numbers, you can get discouraged. And it's easy to get discouraged. But when, when Gina and I were praying this week, and we, we've taken several times, and we, we both pray individually, and, but we don't, it's not often that we actually come together and pray together. But I mean, God moved. It was extraordinary. There were some things that changed. And, and that's, kind, that's where I want to uh, uh, start this morning. And it, it does sort of loosely connect to Jude, because I, I saw this pattern in Jude, and I hadn't seen it before. Where, but it's so clear. Once you, once I saw it, it's like, wow. It's kind of like I don't know if you all have had this experience, uh, and I'm speaking mainly to the men here. But when my wife got pregnant, suddenly I noticed pregnant women everywhere. They just, it's like, wow. Did the whole world get pregnant? Right. And then it wasn't that that there were more pregnant ladies out there. It's just that I became aware of what was already always there. And and now that I've seen this pattern, and basic pattern is, is and this is just universal to mankind, and it's universal to mankind because of our nature, our sin nature. Now, we, we are redeemed. Let me make that clear. We are fully redeemed. We are holy. Our spirits are one with Christ, and there's no sin in our spirits. But we still have the nature of the flesh, or the nature of sin, in our fleshly bodies. And that, that body will drag you and tempt you to do things that go against your spirit. And that nature of the flesh will always lead us to sin. And sin will always lead you to bondage. And bondage will always lead to despair and to death. But at the end or anywhere in between there, God's redemption is always available. He constantly, uh, uh, we're going to look at the, the book of Isaiah today, pretty much two-thirds of the book of Isaiah, and and. Isaiah was written to Judah when they were about to go into captivity. The northern tribes are gone. The ten northern tribes, they're, they're wiped out. They are gone, and we have never heard from them ever before, ever since then. And now Judah and Benjamin are in Jerusalem, and God's telling them, guys, you're going out too because you're sinful, because you haven't obeyed me. And in the midst of all of that, we get all of these chapters in Isaiah that talk about the goodness of God. 
and the redemption of God and how God's ready and willing and able and wanting to, to bring it about. In fact, he, he will prophesy about all the judgment that's going to come on Judah and Jerusalem. And then in the next breath, he's telling, yeah, but it's not going to last long. There's a redemption coming. Let me tell you what your future is. Now, it's just like being a parent and saying, go to your room, you're going to get spanking. But afterwards, and, and you know, my, my kids, we had a rule when we, when we disciplined and spanked our kids, and we did spank our kids. Uh, but it was go to your room till I calm down, because I really don't want to kill you. And right now, I'd kill you. So just go sit. And I've had them come sometimes, Dad, can you just please, I don't care if you do kill me. Just come get it over with. I don't want to sit anymore. And it's like, no, I'm not, I'm still not calm enough. But sometimes we would say, will you go sit in the room, let me calm down. But you know, afterwards, we're going to get this all right. And that was one point we always made. After we disciplined them, we would not leave that room until we hugged, we kissed, we made up. We were one. There's nothing, what, what you got disciplined for is over now. It's done. I hope you learned your lesson because I really don't want to go through this again. But we got it right between us. I didn't want that hanging around. I didn't want them dreading seeing me. Oh, Lord, I know there's a spanking coming. You just hasn't showed up yet. Well, God's doing that with Israel. But throughout all of it, he's, He is telling and proclaiming that we are, we are going to be redeemed in the end. Now, where we're going, and I'm going to give you the end from the beginning. We're heading, we're going to close out in Isaiah 43. And I'm going to read it out of the New King James now because I didn't, I don't know where it is in my notes. But in verse 18 and 19, the Lord says this, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What God has been showing me all week, and I'm getting excited about it, is there's new things coming. This is not how it's going to be. And now, let me tell you, I'm, I'm going to preach this from the concept of our church, our corporate gathering, our corporate body, but you can apply these principles to your life. God is always ready to start something new. He's ready to restore what the, what the enemy has stolen. If you'll believe God, he'll bring it back. What the enemy has destroyed, God will repair it. If he has to create it, bring it, he'll do it. Whatever it takes, when you turn to God, he is ready to make the old new. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling up front, things are about to change. New things are coming. And everything is on the, is on the, the table. Whatever God wants, He can change it from top to bottom, left to right, north to south, up to down. It's all, it's, uh, Dean said it, I just want to follow Him. I just want to know what He wants. And if, I, if, I'm, if He makes it plain, that's how I'm going. I don't care if it rubs your fur backwards. You'll just have to get used to it. We're going with God. Amen? Because when you go with God... You cannot lose. He's got all the power. And if he says go this way and you decide to go another way, guess what? There's no anointing the other way. There's only anointing and power where he says go. So we have to follow him. Now, let's go to Isaiah 
And I'm going to read a few scriptures, but we're going to go through 40-some-odd chapters really quick. And I also want to encourage you, I realize noon comes really quick, and everybody, you've got to be out of here by noon. If you're part of this church, you need to hear this today. And it, it may, when we get to the song part, it may take us 10 or 15 minutes to get through all of that. So I encourage you, let the roast burn. If you've got friends waiting on you, let them wait. Uh, this is one day, I don't care what's going on, what you have planned, you need to hear this through to the end, and you need to participate through to the end. Amen? That's just, you do what you want. I'm telling you, there's, God's doing some things, and He's changing things. Things are different. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. This is Isaiah's vision. Verse 1 says, These are the visions of Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw, or the visions that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is all pertaining to Judah and Jerusalem. All of the Isaiah has to do with God telling Judah and Jerusalem, the northern tribes are gone, Assyria's already taken them off, and you're all that's left. And you don't have long to last. Babylon's coming. And it's a warning. It's a deep warning. Verse 2 through 4, uh, God tells, I, I, or has Isaiah tell Judah, you're a rebellious nation. And then verse 5 through 9, he says, it's not just that you're re rebellious, but you're persistent in your rebellion. And it's like the old joke, you know, I may do things wrong, but I do it really wrong. I'm good at wrong. Well, that's exactly what God's saying to him. You guys are not only rebellious, but you are persistent in it. You just don't quit. I've warned you and warned you and corrected you and corrected you, and you just persist in going the wrong way. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament reflect this. Verse 10 through 17, he, calls, he makes a call for, for justice, and justice, not just empty worship. You can come in here, and the, the, the praise and worship is anointed, and you have a choice. You can enter in, or you can stay out. And I'll, let me just be even more blunt. Dean could come in tired, and there might not be the first drop of anointing on that stage. But if you decide to tap in, God will anoint you. We're not dependent on, on Dean. Not at all. Our anointing and our anointed worship depends on me. Do I have my brain? And the contrary is true. Dean can be anointed to the point where if, if God let go of him, he'd just fall down a puddle of, of nothing. And I can sit here and not receive a thing, not even know that God's in the room. We have to, we have to have, not have empty worship, but we have to enter in. God says this uh, a familiar verse, Matthew 23, 23. And I'm going to read from the New Living Bible today because some of these, they just read better. This is, this is Jesus talking to the teachers. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more, the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. Jesus there is quoting Micah 6.8, which I love Micah 6.8. In some ways, I like it even better. It says, O you people, the Lord has told you what is good. This is what he requires of you, to do what is right, that's the justice, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's why I say if, if God says go this direction, we have to go that direction. That's walking humbly with, with, your, with your Lord. When you walk in submission to someone, you're, you're, you're easy to, to, um, to lead. They can just go. If you've ever ridden horses, there's a big difference. We had jugheads. You know, our, our horses that we raised on our farm, I mean, their mouths were like concrete. You could not get them in. They were stubborn. The only time they ever ran was when you turned them to the barn. You had to fight to get out away from the barn. The second you turned them down, man, they'd run like the wind because they knew that I get in that stall, the saddle's coming off, and I'm done. I'm tired of this. They were hard to lead. It was never a lot of fun to ride them. You can get on a horse, a well-trained horse, a well-broke horse, and all it takes is a little nudge. When you want to turn, you just have to pull your reins a little bit, and the horse will, it, it knows you're trying to lead it, and it's totally submitted to your will, and it will go with just the slightest little thing. If you had a mama like I had, you could be out in public, and if you caught your mama's eye, if you got the look, you knew. You better change something. You may not know exactly what she wanted, but she, you knew she does not want what you're doing now. Because that look will tell you a lot. That's how we need to be. That's what Micah said, and that's what Jesus said. We, we, we should tithe. We should do all the formal, formal things that we do as Christians. But we can't neglect the most important things. The, doing what's right. Showing people justice. Having mercy. You know, every time I sin, I come to God, I'm on my knees. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. But boy, when somebody sins against me, mercy is usually not the first thing on my mind. But it should be. Because that's how we walk humbly with God. Then back in Isaiah uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, again, here it is. It's a call to repentance. Isaiah writes, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God is saying, come think this thing through with me. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, boy, that is the key right there. You can even be obedient and not willing. You heard the little story about the, the dad that told his, his son to sit down in the back seat. This was before um, car seats and seat belts. And the kid wouldn't sit down, and he wouldn't sit down, and he wouldn't sit down. Finally, dad pulled the car over, and he spanked his son, sat him down, and said, now you stay seated. He took off down the road, and he looked in the mirror, and he saw that little boy just scowling at him. He said, what are you thinking? He said, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm standing up. We can be obedient and not be willing. Your obedience counts for nothing if you're not willing. Verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. God has said it. He sets before us life and death, and then He even gives you the answer to the test. Choose life. He's saying... I am going to, even though you, you are a sinner, your sins are multitude, I'm going to bring redemption. I'm going to bring cleansing. I'm going to bring restoration. And if you're willing and obedient, man, things will work out. But if you're not, you're going to be devoured. That's the message here. And I, Isaiah, from, from verse 21 
all the way through the end of, of chapter 5, Isaiah just one verse after another verse, it's, it's judgment for Judah and Jerusalem. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And I'm telling you, when you go read them, uh, if you've got hair, it'll curl it. I mean, it's the, the judgment of God outlined by Isaiah is horrific. These things are coming on you people because of what you did. And he just told them, if you'll, if you'll come and repent, I'll forgive you. But judgment's still coming. But then in verse, uh, or, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 6, in the midst of all of this, we've, we've had pretty much five straight chapters. Judgment, 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 judgment. And in chapter 6, what does God do for Isaiah? In the year of King Uzziah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the, his, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, two, with he, with, uh, two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. God's answer for Isaiah, you've preached destruction, preached destruction, let me give you a revelation of who I am. That, when it says his train filled the temple, it's talking about the glory of God. These seraphim, they are, are, are um, angelic creatures. And it's interesting, I, I had never really looked at this a lot, but the same word seraphim can be translated two different ways in the Old Testament, depending on its context. There are times when it is translated fiery serpent. When I think of the fiery serpent, I'm thinking that we're talking Satan. And then it's talking about angelic beings that are full of His glory because the root of that word means to burn. And what I saw when, when, I, when I, I was reading that, what I saw was this is, this is talking about God's glory. When you are in God's will, when you are a holy angel, you're covered in God's glory. You look like God. We're going to see in a little while. It says that God, when, when Isaiah saw Him, He's fire from the loins down and He's fire from the loins up. He's just covered in glory. That's exactly what the seraphim are. But Satan, when Satan fell, and, and you see that in Isaiah chapter 14, it says that fire came out from the midst of him and devoured him. The same glory that will get on you and restore you and empower you to do God's will when you are in right standing with him will devour you if you are out of, out of relationship with him. Praying for God's glory, you better be prepared. Because it'll burn things up. But thank God, if I've got things in my life that need to be burned up, bring it on, Lord. But when you get under that fire, it may not feel pleasant. But, but notice, Isaiah's reaction, when he saw God, he got a vision of God, his reaction was he became very aware of his un, very own unrighteousness. His first re response is, oh, I'm undone. Um, I'm not going to give you the literal translation of what I'm undone means. But he says, I'm undone, he said, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For their eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He said, I see God, I see me, and I am not where I need to be. And he, and he related it right back to his tongue, to his lips, to his speech. How you talk, the rest of you will follow eventually, and we're going to get into that more.
But the, this, the vision and the character of God was what God brought to him after all of this stuff. And he made it, he, he sent one of the seraphim, he said, grab a coal off the altar, go down and put it on Isaiah's lips and burn the sin out of his speech. I don't know that that would, that's not exactly what I would have thought I would want. You come at me with a hot coal and you're going to stick it on my lips, we're probably going to tussle. But Isaiah received it. He burned that sin out of his speech because he's God's spokesman and he needs to be holy. And then verse 11 through 13 again, it's judgment and, and hope. In Isaiah 6, 11, the very first part of it, Isaiah, the first thing he says, then I said, because God's been speaking all this judgment, Lord, how long? How long? He's looking. He needs some hope. I know you've said judgment's coming. I've just, I've, I've, I've made a lot of proclamations to these people. How long? Well, the how long is Jesus, or, or I, God tells Isaiah in the very last part of verse 13, he said, when he tells him that the destruction is still coming, he said, so the holy seed shall be its stump. Later on, he's going to talk about the branch that comes out of the stump, and that branch is Jesus. He's saying that in the judgment, the redemption is there. You just have to reach out and take it. Because even when everything gets cut down and all there's left is a stump, your redemption's in that stump. And I'm going to bring that redemption out. There may, you may look around and you may say, there's nothing left. They've taken it all. I have nothing left. There's something. It may be buried underground, but that redemption will spring out if you'll look to God to get it. And then verse 7 through 12, it's more, more um, judgment, more judgment. Chapter 11, it talks about the shoot of Jesse, which is the Messiah. It's Jesus coming. And in, in, in the midst of all of this, it's, it's talking about, I'm going to judge you, but my redemption's there. I'm, judgment's coming, but I'm going to redeem you. And then, and this is the, the part that's amazing, chapter 13 through 23, God, Isaiah goes through a whole thing about the judgment on the nations that are gonna, going to, starting with Babylon, but it's going to be a long list of nations that God's going to judge harshly because of how they treated his people. And you th I, I thought, when I read that, I thought, no, wait a minute. You're going to judge Babylon for taking these people into captivity and mistreating them, and you called Babylon to do that. My sense of justice is kind of like, there's something not right here. But then I got to thinking, the more I thought about it, and I asked the Lord about it, it was, it's like parents. I just gave you an example a minute ago. I'm called to discipline my kids. Proverbs is pretty, pretty blunt. Spare the rod, spoil the child. De uh, rebellion is driven out of a child by the rod. I'm telling you, these modern, the modern ways, especially reasoning with a four or five-year-old, four and five-year-olds cannot reason. They don't have the brain capacity to reason. That's why we don't allow them to make decisions. They need to be directed. But as a parent, now in this day and age, even one swat on the butt will get you taken to CPS if the wrong people see it because they think that's, a, that's abuse. 
The Bible is very clear it's not abuse. But you can cross a line and abuse your child. God has called us as parents to discipline and train our children. He is our Father, and He will discipline and train us. And sometimes He may use circumstances or other people to do it. But if they train us and, and, and do it by abusing us, like Babylon did with Israel, then God said, you went too far, you abused them. Now I'm entering in, and I'm going to judge you. Same way the state will step in if, if, if a parent thinks in their mind, well, I'm just disciplining my kids. And God knows it happens. You see kids with cigarette burns. You see them, you know, they're getting whipped with, um, you know, metal coat hangers. That's not discipline. That's abuse. You don't hurt people. You don't hurt your kids. Now, God, God provided a nice, wide, well-padded area for the rod or for the... Um, the rod of correction to be a, a seat or be asserted or used on the seat of learning. But it doesn't take much. I can tell you, my, my kids, I don't think I ever gave them more than one, one swat with a paddle in my life. And they were terrified of it. They, boy, man, when you told them, go to your room, you're going to get spanking. Oh, you could see the fear. And they, they, but they never feared me because I never used my hand. Never. I learned that early on. I never use my hand to discipline my kids. When I reach out for my kids, I don't want them to pull back and think, is he going to hit me or is he going to love me? They knew the pat. When they saw the paddle, ooh, the tears started flowing long before the, 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 you know, the discipline ever happened. God does that. When you see his hand, it's always got redemption in it. Amen? But through all of this, You've got 10 chapters there of God saying, you guys mistreated my children. I'm going to judge you. We are called to, to discipline, but never abuse. And then we get to Isaiah 40 and through 48, those, those eight chapters. All of those chapters, there's one message through all of that. It's a message of, of comfort to the nation of Israel, which is now Judah. It's why modern day um, children of Israel, we call them Jews because they came out of Judah. It's, a, it's a, 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 a call of comfort to them because of the presence and, and the promise of God. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. And, and here's the question, and I've taken almost 30 minutes to get through all of that. How does this apply to, my, to me? How does this apply to us? Well, individually, we have to stay open to the Lord and be quick to repent. I've had non-Christians and even some Christians, you know, look at me and say, look, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a lousy father. How could he be a man after God's own heart? He was a man after God's own heart because every time God pulled him up and said, this is wrong, you sinned, he hit his knees and he repented. He was open before God. Was he a, a, a did he have problems? Ooh, yeah. Yeah multiple problems so do we all if you know the bible is very clear you think you're something beware lest you fall pride goes before the fall when you start thinking that you're something you're probably not long before you're going to be prostrate on the ground david realized when god said 
You should not have done that. His sin got the best of him. His sin nature got the best of him. But he knew it when he was called on it. He was quick to repent. Saul, Saul made excuses. Well, yeah, I know, but, but that's just my nature. That's my personality. No, that's sin. Judge yourself, and you won't be judged. But there's also a, a, a corporate application for us. As a church, as Faith Community Church, we have seen, uh, not, Gina and I have only been here for 12 years, so we, we, we've seen the last part of it. Some of you all have been here for the whole 41 years that this church has been in existence. It's gone up, it's come down. It's gone up, it's come down. It's a pattern. And to be honest with you, faith is not unique, <laughs> not even close to being unique. Most churches have that pattern. And, and, and it, you see it out in the natural world. It's, it's part of, of just the way things work in this lost and fallen world. But we have to understand that just because things may look bleak, there's redemption available right now. Now, when I say there's a redemption right now, you know, the question comes, are you, are you saying that all of the things we've been, we've been under in the last, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 years, that's all been because we've been in sin? Is that the reason that we've declined? Let me give you an honest answer. I have no idea. I can say yes, for sure, and no, probably not. <laughs> Lots of great guidance there, right? The, 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 the reason is, when you get, a, you get an individual believer, let alone a group of believers, is sin in the camp? You better believe there's sin in the camp. If you're there by yourself, there's sin in your camp. We need to get past that, that stupid idea. That God used that phrase in the Old Testament about the, the camp of Israel. But when I'm there, there is sin in my camp because I still have sin in my nature. I'm called to overcome that, but it still has this freakish way of showing up at just the wrong moment. When we have a group of people, of course there's sin there. There's always sin there, and we, even when we are wor working hard and things are clicking and moving right, we're still doing things wrong. So yes, we, we are always doing wrong, but we also sometimes are doing right. It's like I've said before, there are only two reasons that you're under, under attack. You've done something wrong or you've done something right. That's it. The devil's going to attack you because you are his child, or even if you're a sinner, you haven't gotten saved, you're still potentially his child, and he's going to attack you. He attacks you because you are human and he hates humans. He hates us. I mean, I don't know that, that, that the devil's capable of doing anything but hate, hating Part of the reason that I bring that up, though, it doesn't really matter. The answer's the same. Whether it was sin or just an attack of the devil, the answer and the way out is, is the same for both things. Paul said it in, in um, Romans 14, the end of, of, of that verse, New King James Version, says, For whatever is not of faith is sin. We have to operate in faith. I love the, um, the, the Passion Translation. This is how the Passion Translation translates that, that particular part of that verse. For anything we do that doesn't spring from faith is by definition sinful. 
Now, boy, that'll, that'll chafe your activities. If you're not operating in, in faith in any area, you're operating out of your flesh, and it's sinful. There are no other options. There are no other choices. I'm either operating out of my spirit and operating out of what God's told me, or I'm operating out of my own flesh and my own sin nature. They are diametrically opposed. So I have to get into faith. Now, let's go to Isaiah 43, and I'm going to try to wrap this up very quickly. Isaiah 43, this is the New Living Translation. Verse 1, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God starts this, this message off with, don't have any worries. You're my child. I've already paid the price. Verse 2. Well, if I'm your child, then everything's just going to be right. Everything's going to be hunky-dory, right? When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Well, that doesn't sound real great. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is saying, you are my child. You're going to go through tribulation. You're going to have problems. But don't, don't worry, I'm there. You're not going to drown. You're not going to get swept away. I am going to be there. Paul said it. I mean, he said in, in, in the letter to the Corinthians, he said, these light afflictions. The man was beaten to death. He was stoned to death. I really do believe when he was in Derby, they stoned him to death. It says the, the, um, the, the disciples and, and the, the, the believers gathered around him and raised him up. I think that raised him up. They raised him from the dead. He was beaten with stripes on m more than one occasion. He was shipwrecked. And he said, these are light afflictions. Wow, I don't want to get into any heavy afflictions if those are light afflictions. But he said, all of these afflictions are bringing glory to God because he's bringing me out of them. That's the point. Whatever we go through, we, we, are, we are going to be delivered if we hang on to that very first thing. We have to know whose we are. In verse 4. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours. Because you are precious to me, you are honored, I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. Now this is specifically talking to Israel about, I'm going to gather all your people back together. But I think spiritually this is talking to us too. He says, I will gather you and your children our children as believers are people that we get saved. And he's saying, I'm going to gather people into you. Those that, that are born again under the ministry of Faith Community Church, God is going to gather them in. He is going to give us. It's one of the things, if you've noticed, I try to pray a lot. I want to see, and I, I, I put it in this order, I want to see people born again. I want to see bodies healed. I want to see marriages restored. Those are the three biggies in my brain. For one thing, you can have a healthy body and a great marriage and die and go to hell, and what's it worth? But if you get born again, you can have a sick body and a horrible marriage, and all you're doing is looking forward to heaven because 
Life right here is hell. And it is true. For a believer, this is all the hell we will ever know. For an unbeliever, this is all the heaven they, want, they will ever know. But I want to have, I want to have it all. I want to have my cake and eat it. I want to be saved and I want a good marriage and I want to walk in health. And that's my prayer for us. And I, I believe that when we can start doing that, that, that it's going to attract people. Verse 6, I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them my glory. It is I who created them. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. This is talking about Christians who they profess to know Christ, but they are blind and deaf to the gospel, to how it actually ought to affect our lives. I've said be blunt, it's talking about carnal Christians where they're operating out of their flesh most of the time, not out of the Spirit. God won't, you know, Paul said in Corinthians that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the glory of God's going to come out and all of our works that we did as Christians is going to be judged. Those that we did out of the flesh, wood, hay, and stubble, and they're going to burn up and be gone. What we did out of the Spirit is going to be gold, silver, and precious stone, and they'll all remain, and that's our reward. I want lots of rewards, because I want to be pleasing to, to Jesus. I want to follow His example. It, it, it's talking about believers that need to, to grow up. Let's read on, verse 15. This is God saying, this is why all this is going to happen. I'm the Lord, your Holy One. Israel's creator and king. I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. The, the, the enemy on your case, he bringing stuff against you, afflicting you. He's no more powerful than the armies of Egypt. And you can look at two ways. You know, there, there's a school of thought that, the, that the, the Israelis crossed what is called the Sea of Reeds, and there was never more than a few feet of water. And God dried that up and brought them across. And then there's a school of thought that, that was like Cecil B. DeMille's depiction in the movie, where it was through the Red Sea, and it was deep water, and he separated the water, and they walked through on dry land. And God could, you know, you get caught in that, the waves come back together, you're going to drown very easily. And I've had people say, well, that, the, the Sea of Reeds is discounting God's miraculous power. Really? It never had more than two or three feet of water and you drown hundreds of, of, of thousands of soldiers in, on chariots? Which is a greater miracle? To, to make walls of water and walk across on dry land and have the, uh, an obvious hundred foot wall of water drown people or to dry up two or three feet of water and let your people walk across in dry land and then when the enemy gets in the middle of it you take that two or three feet of water and you drown an entire army they're both pretty miraculous either way god's got our back but then you get to and this is where we were we're heading verse 18 but forget all that Forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun it. Do you not see it? I will make a path through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I've had people tell me, I've said it. We don't have the, the resources to do what God's called us to do. 
God just said, you in the wilderness, I'll show you a path. You, you in a wasteland, I'll bring a river to you. Don't be dependent on your supply. I'll bring you my supply. Whatever God calls us to do, He's required to supply the, the, the stuff to get it done. Whether it's anointing or buildings or people or money. It's nothing for Him. Verse 20, the wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and the owls too, for giving them water in the desert. There are going to be people out there that are going to get blessed just because we got blessed. They may not even be believers, but if they get blessed enough by being around believers, they're going to eventually come around and say, what's so different about you people? Every time I get around you, I get blessed. Something good happens every time I hang out with you. And it gives you an opportunity of saying, well, it's not me, it's Jesus. You get to witness, you get to plant a seed. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. Then verse 21, this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. We need to declare what God is doing in our lives. What God is doing in our corporate life and my individual life. It needs to be on every level. If we are not <clears throat> making that declaration, that's why I wrote what I wrote in the bulletin today. And I really do encourage you, take that this week and read it. Um, um, Romans 10 sums it up. I believed with my heart, I confessed with my mouth, then I was saved. It takes not only faith, but acting on your faith. You have to act on it. Faith unacted upon means nothing. Um, um, James said it. You believe there's one God, you do well. The demons in hell believe and tremble. Do you realize Satan has, has a stronger faith in Jesus than you do? He's seen him face to face. I've never stood face to face with Jesus. Never had a vision where he came and talked to me. Satan has. He's not just had a vision. He's, they've been physically toe to toe. And yet, he's damned to hell for all eternity. Why? Because his faith is not followed by his actions. His faith was followed by rebellion. Having faith doesn't count until you act on the faith. Now, that doesn't mean that, well, now you've just put me over and I've got to, it's my actions that get me saved. No, because God gives you the faith too. He gives you the faith and he gives you the ability to act on the faith. It's all God. He started it, and he will, he will bring it back. Look at verse 25, and we're going we're gonna to stop here. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. This is where, where the declaration comes. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. He has told us, you put me in remembrance. You bring my word to me and say, look, Lord, this is what you said, and I'm believing you're going to do this, and I'm going to take my actions because I know when I get out in the middle of this bridge, everything about me says that bridge is going to fall down. But you said walk out on the bridge, so I'm going out on the bridge. And when I get out in the middle, it's not going to fall. And if I have to be like uh, that, that movie, um, oh, I forget, the one where... where Harrison Ford went after the, the grail. And he looked across this cavern and there was, it just, there was nothing there. It said you have to take the step of faith. 
And he stepped out and he found solid rock. And they, in, in the movie, the rock was carved to exactly match the wall on the other side. So he couldn't, it, you didn't see that. But only until you came to the side, you could see that there was a rock walkway. God will make a way. He will support you. That's, the, that's how Jesus walked on the water. A physical body can't be held up by liquid water. But Jesus was walking on water because God said, get out there and, and get to your people. So he walked and he just depended on God to get him out there. And for a little while, uh, Peter had enough faith. He stepped out and walked on water with him. So it's not like it's just, you got to be Jesus to get that done. Peter stayed on the top of the water till he looked at the waves. Got his eyes off Jesus. That's what Isaiah, what God's saying through Isaiah. You put God in remembrance. Come, let us contend together. <coughs> That's not saying come argue with God. I mean, God's right there ready for you to, to get up beside him and argue with him against your enemy. Your circumstances, the, 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 the devil... All of his demons, those are the enemies. Those who are we are contending with Jesus against them. But until we assert that we are going over and not under, I'm telling you, I just, I've seen it. I can't describe it all, but we're, on the, we're right on the edge of something great. We are right on the edge of breakthrough. How do you know that? Well, first of all, I know it in my spirit, but I just also know it naturally. Why do you think things are so hard? I've said it before, if I had quit in me, I would have quit in the last six months. It's the hardest six months I've ever lived through, and believe me, I've lived through some hard times. This has been tough. It's all been spiritual oppression. That's why I say, I don't care what it takes. I'm doing my part. I don't care what price I have to pay. I'm doing what God calls me to do because I don't want to, if I know if I disobey him, I'm going to stay in the oppression. And I don't, want, I don't like living here. I'd rather get to the mountaintop. And I'm willing to pay whatever price. We sang it when we sang, let us pray. I'm willing to pay any price. You sang the words, do you mean them? If you don't, it's what Isaiah was talking about for empty worship. It's just empty. Brother Hagin used to joke, he said, you know, sometimes when you lay hands on people in a prayer line, you're putting empty hands on empty heads. And they just, you know, getting their hair rubbed off. That's it. Well, if, if we put faith in what we believe, and I'm, I'm just telling you, as your pastor, I'm telling you, this church is about to see things change. Spiritually, materially, physically, things are about to to break loose. And the reason I say that is I know there are people that will jump off thinking off the boat thinking they're on the Titanic and, and really they're not. And they're out in the water swimming alone and the ship's still sailing. They're thinking, I thought that ship was going down. No, but now you're out in the middle of the ocean swimming by yourself. Hook in, believe with us. Now, what I want us to do, Chuck, do you have that video up? I want to sink through this thing twice. And it's about seven minutes, so we're, we're, it's, it's still early. That's why I kind of curtailed things. It's only 11.30. So even if we do this for 15 minutes, you're still getting out way before noon. But I want to go through it because it's, 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 a, 
It is a very anointed song, but it makes some declarations. And the first time through, you kind of get the, figure out the, the uh, lyrics. And the second time through, I'm asking you. That, well, first of all, let me instruct you. This is not a participation sport. Most of the time when we look at a screen, we get into TV mode. I sit, they do. Now, this is participation time. This we need to get up. We need to sing along with this. When we hit those words, I declare, we need to declare it by faith. Make it a faith confession. And the first time through, you may only hit every other word because you've never heard this before. But the second time through, it'll get a little easier. And if you want, I'll make this, I'll make this song available to everybody. If I have to buy, you know, 100 CDs, small price to pay. Because this thing is anointed, and I believe it's anointed for this church in this season. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.